Welcome back, everyone. We are The Three Podcasts. In this episode, we are continuing our discussion about the polarization of America through the lens of the unchanging core of American individualism that we introduced in part one. Now we want to take a deeper dive into this idea, and more specifically as it relates to white Americans, because we, as three rural white women, can only speak from our experiences and our point of view. So we welcome you to join in this discussion as well, because only then can we start to get a clear understanding of how the world actually is versus what we think it is. With that mention out of the way, let's get into the discussion. So the question we want to start with is, what does this unchanging core of American individualism look like? And why is it unchanging? So let's open up there, guys. I think the best way to break this down into simple terms is the mentality of saying that I am this thing, whatever that may be for you. I'm right and nothing else can exist because I say so. And the thing that always like pops into my head when thinking about this is I just see Danny DeVito yelling at a yelling at little Matilda saying, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm big, you're small, and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. That's that unchanging that unchanging core of American individualism. Right. Like that that's that's the only way it can be because because you know, my parents did this and my grandparents did this and so I have to continue doing this Mm -hmm. and it's the only way it's my way or the highway yeah even more so though it's I mean because sometimes my way or the highway can you know work but it's when it's it's when it's applied to a group of people or um, as we're watching right now, political parties where the Republicans are literally digging their heels into the ground and saying, no, our way is the only way. And the damage that is that is done, one, to the Republican Party itself and what is currently doing with uh, the suppression, the voter suppression laws and that idea of they're right and everyone else is wrong is what I see is actually tearing this country apart currently. Right. That's how we start seeing the polarization come about, because we talked about in the previous episodes with like social media and the sensationalism of our media and the sensationalism and dramatics of our politics, which is all tied into actually this idea of this unchanging individualism that we are seeing in America and more specifically with white Americans where it's like I'm right and my point of view is the only point of view and that point of view is how everything exists and how everything functions and nothing exists beyond that at all like that that's like uh, that's like as harsh as it gets where it's like nope nothing else exists well what does it happen when you actually stick someone who thinks like that into then these echo chambers right like, that's really what mm-hmm. we're seeing with the conspiracy theories and what we saw in Parlor and how people are completely, well, brainwashed into mm-hmm. this idea of America that 
only exists for them. What mm-hmm. What do you mean? Can you explain that more? Um, that the fraud existed and QAnon and that there's uh, the oh, okay. horrible, scary people that are pulling the strings from the back. Like that's a that's an own their own reality that they live in. Like, and it's like, but nothing else exists. And you can take this even to like a less extreme version of that. Like we had said about just digging your heels in and refusing to just acknowledge that anyone else's opinion or point of view on any subject matter, let's just say voting suppression, for example, like exists. Like, nope, only this way, only this way and no other way. And I think all of us can speak from experience that like those places where we thought we were right about something and we dug our heels in it really stopped us from actually learning anything so i think what you're saying lan is like that when we and you know all of us have had this experience where we've yes. refused to to acknowledge or even consider what someone is saying to us um where hey look you know what there's another way to look at this or what you're doing is detrimental and you know here's a way out of you know this you know whatever basically this this situation or the way you're thinking about this and you know that that right there is that idea of like having blinders on and not unwilling, refusing, rebelling, mm-hmm. you name it, to consider another way of thinking about whatever that idea is or subject is. And like we talked about in the last episode where we talked about like the um, the number line, and how in between one and two, there's a whole bunch more there. It's like, if you don't consider anything beyond how your point of view and how you see things, you're missing out on a whole, on a whole spectrum of shit to learn about, basically. Yeah, I mean, ba- if you're missing out on life. You're missing out on mm-hmm. those experiences. Because that's, you know, that's where life is lived in those, I, I guess you could say, in those kind of gray areas yeah where you can you can explore thought and you can explore new ideas and you can, you can, um, you know, look at something from another vantage point. Just to even consider it to see how that person sitting across from you is thinking about, you know, whatever or how they see the world. Mm-hmm. because you, you gain from that whether or not you agree with the person it doesn't right. that doesn't matter but you gain from that like you you begin to widen your view on the world mm-hmm. that's that's actually useful and I I think that's what what we end we end up missing is when we step into those conversations with with people mm-hmm. who may have their heels dug in and we begin to look at how they see that world we learn mm-hmm. 
Right. Because you can't change how someone else looks at the world, but you can. Mm -hmm. Well, why would you want to? You know, that's That's the thing. That's like they have a right to that. Yeah, they do. They have, they are, they are free to everyone. Every single person on this entire planet is free to think however it is they want to think. If you agree with it or not. Now, can there be um, unwanted consequences to that? Well, yes, like, you know, harming another human being and or committing, quote, a crime. Well, you're going to end up, you know, which is why we have not so pleasant consequences. Exactly. Right. Because everything we do has consequences, regardless of if those consequences are positive or negative. Like, it's kind of the whole argument with freedom of speech. It's like. Yes, we have freedom of speech and only certain things are covered under freedom of speech. But no matter what, you still are not free from the consequences of that freedom of speech, regardless of what it is. That's the thing people seem to like miss. Well, like the well, as a great example, as the insurrection on January 6th, um, you know, there, you know, the whole thing was, well, you know, we have a right to do this. Well, actually, you don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've crossed a line. Yeah. You crossed a, a really, really hard line because people lost their lives in that. Right. Yeah, because that, that jumps from thinking to action, which are still very different, though, of course, words and what people say is important and they do have weight depending on who's saying it. Once you've taken it to action, that's a whole different conversation. And mm-hmm. what that action is. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So as a great example is what's going on in Georgia and uh, several, what, 43 other states with Mm -hmm. voter suppression. As of last night, I saw, now this was a tweet that someone sent out, so I'll have to verify it, but they were saying there are 47 states now that are that are either proposing or have drafted some form of voter suppression law, which means that basically the entire country at this point. Pretty damn close. So how does this idea of the the unchanging core of American individualism, what does it have to do with voter suppression? I think a great, a great example is from the time the, you know, Biden was elected and this <clears throat> ex-president decided that he actually won and gaslit the American people, or at least tried to gaslight the American people into believing that there was voter fraud. Yeah. Right? And yep. there were certain Republicans who stood behind the now ex-president and are still standing behind him and saying, no, 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 this is true, you know, and that they're right. And it doesn't matter what reality says or what, you know, what the facts say. Ah, there it is. The I'm right. You're wrong. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. My way. It, it, yeah, that's it's my it has to be my way. And the other well, part course, to this. Because I didn't win. Exactly. The other part to this is it's self-serving. It is. And how self-serving mm-hmm. is it? Well, it's self-serving enough that they are now trying to put, well, Georgia did put voter suppression laws in place. And when you begin to break it down and see what's in that legislation, mm-hmm. 
you can see the 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 minority population that they were that they're trying to suppress and where they're trying to increase voter making it easier to vote is where their constituents live where they're making it harder to vote is where the democratic votes came from which largely when you look at Georgia was in the black communities so what you're saying is then because of this unchanging core of American individualism in their thinking in some form or fashion, because it's going to be slightly different for everyone. It's like, they're like, well, obviously I should have won. Like in their their brains, it's like, there's no way they couldn't win. I think it's because they know they rigged it to begin with. Um, And it's like, they're like, okay, well, obviously our rural areas, their constituents need more, needs an easier way to vote. And then you, of course, have the other communities coming in, the black community specifically coming in and say, hey, whoa, what the F are you doing? This isn't benefiting us. But because that idea in their brain exists, that doesn't compute for them. Where we're heading with this particular idea that you mentioned, Brie, we follow Cheryl Cox Richardson. And she is uh, she's a professor I think of his uh, historian. Mm-hmm. Yep, she's a historian. Highly recommend following her blog. She's on Facebook. Um, what she does is she takes the day's news and she breaks it down so it's very understandable. Uh, really enjoy reading reading uh, what she what she writes, and the the beauty of it is she pulls in history. Yeah, she gives it context. Yes. And that's really important, especially, um, well, over this past year, it's been especially important. And with these voter suppression laws, she posted on March 20, on March 26th, when uh, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp had signed the new law. And he, he actually, he actually stood with six white men around him under a painting of the Callaway plantation. And that plantation is where more than 100 black people had been enslaved. So like, come on. And then there was a representative um, Park Cannon. Uh, she was a black female lawmaker. She, I think she knocked on the, the door yeah. Yep. She was just knocking on the door saying, like, this shouldn't be a closed door signing. Yep. Right. The governor's office and she was arrested and dragged away. So if we look at what they actually did. Right. Their actions. Look at what their actions say about what they're doing. That's the important piece here. Right. Yeah. Yes. And to go then back to what um, Cheryl Cox Richardson wrote she brings in the history of when voting was on the table back in march of 1858 and uh we'll we'll post a link to this so that you guys can you know read the whole the whole piece of it but basically the same thing was going on um and in in the senate at the time uh south carolina senator james henry hammond he was the one who who objected and said that it was ridiculously absurd 
that the idea that all men are born equal. And just to read a little bit of what she wrote here is uh, he defended the rule of the pro-slavery pro minority in Kansas and told anti-slavery Northerners how the world really worked. Um, and Hammond laid out a new version for the United States of America. And then what he went on to say is about uh, how wealthy the South system of human enslavement had made the region and that uh, it was harmonious and prosperous, and the system worked precisely because a few wealthy men ruled over a larger class with a low order of intellect and little skill. And this is where they were like, they, ref they refused to allow anyone but the wealthy white men to vote. Now, Cheryl goes on to say this distinction had crucial political importance, right? And Hammond said, our slaves do not vote. We give them no political power. Yours do vote. And this is about the North. And being the majority, they are the depositaries of all your political power. If they knew the tremendous secret that the ballot box is stronger than an army with banners and could combine where would you be? Your society would be reconstructed, your government overthrown, your property divided, but the quiet process by the quiet process of the ballot box. Where does that thinking, I, we're doing the same shit. It mm -hmm. is the same shit. That's what I'm like, I'm trying, like, that's what I want to get across to people besides like this idea of the core of like individual, that unchanging the unchanging core of American individualism. Like that's like the crux of the discussion we're talking about. Like that's the, like a perfect example of what it looks like. It's not that this dude didn't understand that if you allowed for democracy to actually work the way it's supposed to work, that then everyone would be equal and it would take money, power and control away from them and reconstruct reality. So we already he already admitted he knows reality is not right. a, not a not a solid idea. He already understands that. And those Republicans who stood in that room in Georgia blocked out absolutely anyone else who does have a voice and a right to be there. Looking at their actions, they are basically saying and doing the it's the exact same shit. It's literally what, yeah. what Mama Lisa literally just fucking read. They know mm -hmm. what they're doing. They understand that if the voters truly had the power that they should have, everyone. I don't mean, like, just rural white. I'm not talking, like, just people who don't have, like, criminal records. I'm not talking... I'm talking, like, if everyone was just registered to vote automatically at 18 years old, we got rid of gerrymandering, took the money out of politics... And just allowed people to vote the way they should be voting and made it an easy process for them to vote. Yes, America would look different because guess what? Everyone has a different point of view. And those uh, those point of views are are actually OK. But what Republicans, specifically extreme Trump Republicans, are scared of is that their world is going to change then. Well, yeah. And, and here's an interesting thought. It's where those ideas overlap. Can you explain that a little more? Yeah. Okay. So you have, you have this, the far right extremists. Okay. Yeah. And we have mm -hmm. far, far left extremists. Yes, we do. Think about this past election. Mm -hmm. What changed the vote 
is when Republicans, well, when Republicans basically woke up and went, "Uh uh-uh, no way, I am not voting for this man again. And then they voted for Biden. That's what I'm saying. It's like when those those ideas overlap, where you can take. Oh, are you saying common ground? Common ground, yes. Where these okay, these okay. two separate these two separate parties, yeah, didn't just stand in in the rhetoric of their party, right? Which is what we're, what they want you to do. That's that's what they're trying to do to us. Like Republicans, extreme Trump Republicans. Right. They they want to say, no, 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 we can't. Because look at the Senate. The Senate didn't always run like that. Back in the 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, there was there was bipartisanship. They crossed they crossed the party lines in the Senate to pass bills. Where do we see that happening? Nowhere. We have filibusters everywhere. Mm-hmm. They've they've forgotten they've forgotten how to get shit done. Yeah, because they think they're right. Exactly. And that's where the people in this past election were like, wait a minute. Yep. I don't want this America anymore. Even though I'm Republican. And that's the party that they, you know, they believed in. They crossed that party line. And said no more. And that's what that mentality is terrified of. That Right. Because, well, if it's unchanging, anything that changes is going to be, they basically are shitting Terrifying. themselves. They are shitting right. themselves. I think we're watching Trump extremists and people who don't want to change and don't want change and don't want to understand change and just want power and control and you know, money, and they only care about themselves. That's, mm-hmm. that's like, if, if we were to open it up and make it easy voting, accessible voting for people where, like, I forget what country it is, when like people vote, they actually just literally just send a reminder. And they're like, hey, voting's happening this time. Here's your district, you're registered, here's your card, let's just do yeah. it. Some places will fine you if you don't vote. Two, I, th- I can't remember. We'll find it. I think it's Australia or something like that. And it's like, yeah, like it's a right. It's Look, it's not a privilege to vote. It's a right to vote. We are a democracy, which makes it a right. It's in the Constitution. It makes it a right. Every single person has a right. It's also a civic duty. Uh, yes, I was. Thank you, Len. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a duty yeah. to actually care about the country you live in and the people in within that country it's a duty it's a duty to your country to actually give a shit about your country and about and about even just your local elections because these are the people who are representing you and these are the people who are representing everyone in the country and these are the people who are going to be making the changes and you have a duty to actually use that voice that you have been given the right to have. One thing I was kind of thinking about too with um, how Hammond talks about this and where he talks about the few wealthy men who ruled over a larger class with a low order of intellect but little skill. 
He talks about that in the South in terms of the black slaves, but he also talks about that in the North. He said, your whole hiring class of manual laborers. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I'm I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, so this whole like gaslighting thing that we talked about Trump doing, they were doing it back then, too. They were doing Absolutely. the same old shit. Same shit. Absolutely. Same shit. It is the same. The morning that this that um this particular writing by uh, Cheryl Cox Richardson was posted, it was the first thing I read in the morning, and I I was I was I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised to see that we're doing the same thing. We haven't learned from history. I don't honestly think anyone even knows about our history because we deny our history constantly in the, in the United States. I didn't know this happened. Nope. And that's why I love reading her work because it, you get to see, as, as Len was saying, that context and where we came from. Mm-hmm. And yes, things are shifting. And yes, is it a slow process? Absolutely. But it is shifting because this this mindset is slowly dying, and I think we're we're seeing we're seeing its we're seeing its gasping breath, and that fight mm-hmm. to you know that fight to survive, mm-hmm. and that's happening literally within the Republican Party. Oh yeah, and I've read I've read numerous articles on it of you know, the the dying breath of the Republican Party because they basically screwed themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, their mentality was, one, a finite one, right? Like we talked about with Simon Sinek about that finite game. They just want to win. That's it. They want, they want money. They want control. They want to win. That's pretty much their objective, which you can see that through their actions because mm-hmm. it's like to them, it's like they know, they know, they're doing this intentionally. They know if they can divide us and keep our keep us in our corners or segregate us, same same difference. I mean, that's what gerrymandering is basically, and what they're doing with the voter suppression. You know, if they can divide us, then they can control us. Yes, that's what they're attempting. It's what they're doing. It's what they're attempting to do. And the fact is, white people just fucking roll over and and we're like, yeah, sure, whatever, because they're so fucking gaslit. And they have the very similar I'm right, you're wrong mentality, which easily plays into that, especially with Trump supporters. Well, you know, it's 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 an interesting thought when you say that, too, because of like the all the conspiracy theory, uh, QAnon stuff that's been out there and is still out there, unfortunately. Um, It's like a way a way to. I don't know, like comprehend what's going on, but it, it's it's so far off in left field that I I, I don't know. There, it just seems to be part of the gaslighting somehow. Steeped in fear is what I would say. They're scared. Yes. These because yeah. Republic. Like, if you think about it, like these, like these, like Trump supporters, I'm just going to call them Trump supporters just to make it easy so we know what we're talking okay, about. Okay, sure, sure. Um, so these Trump supporters, it's like these Republicans are so steeped in fear because all they all they dish out is just to fear everything. Fear mm-hmm. change, fear immigrants, fear black people, fear. Well, it, yeah, okay. The ownership part of it, right? 
like that ownership that they actually they're afraid of losing what they believe they own. Right. Yeah. And it's like because Republicans are scared of losing what they think they own, which they don't. These are elected officials. We have a democratic process. You don't own the position you're in and you don't own the people that you serve. It's you serve those people. It's not the other way around. You're not a king. It's not a monarchy. This isn't. No. Hmm. And then it's like. And then it's reflected in the people that follow them, right? Because you're going to share the same mentality of the people that, of the people that quote unquote lead you, which makes sense then. So it's like they're just scared shitless, and it makes sense then for the reasons why they're going to like crazy conspiracy theories and echo chambers because anything that pushes ever so slightly, they fucking explode. Because it's like you just pop their fucking bubble of reality, and that shit's fucking scary for people. So it's like, it's right there, right there, that. Well, it's like, if you look at what Hammond did back in 1858, which, by the way, I think the thing that blew my mind the most about what Cheryl Cox Richardson had to say about this is that when we were talking about polarization last episode and where it started, we were talking about... um where where did we start? I know we mentioned like Vietnam and com- and um the Cold War and things like that. Like it goes back further than that. That blew my mind. But um the what Hammond tried to do back then and what we see happening now is this idea of us versus them. Yep. Yeah. That thing. we yeah. are that we are separate. And when you think about it from that lens, the QAnon theories or whatever, the crazy theories, they're just putting something in place for that them, that scary. That right. They're, they're trying to name it somehow. Yeah. They're trying to name, name the them, whoever they are that is out to get, that is somehow out to get us. And that ownership piece Mama Lisa, that you were talking about, I think the place where I saw that the most clearly was during the pandemic when um, there was this huge shortage everywhere of personal protective equipment. And Jared Kushner, who actually was not an elected official, by the way, let me just oh, you know, know, make yeah, that know clear. <laughs> He he actually came out and said, no, this isn't the state's. This is ours. This belongs to us. And we'll, de- we'll decide where it goes. And when he said that, it was like, it, it really showed where. Where it, where it is that, that idea of ownership is. That there are people within our government who sees are who see their role within our government as they are. I guess I guess it's almost it's almost like they see themselves as like a king. Yeah, I would say so. Well, yeah, it's that, that power grab. Yeah, the power. Yeah, grab. yeah that that author authoritarian mm-hmm. ownership of. The country, as opposed to the reality, is that the people, the people, quote unquote, own the country. The country belongs to every single one of us citizens. Yep. And 
in putting that like us versus them in place, it's preventing us from seeing where we are all connected, where where as a country we share in the ownership of the country. The people in this idea of us versus them have been so gaslit into this idea that the us, we do own it, but there is a them who is trying to take it away from us. Mm. Instead of seeing that the them is our own, is our own country people, it's, 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 they, they are as equal as us. But by putting that separation in place, we're basically saying, okay, well now, now these people are trying to come in and take, take what is ours. Right. Because if they can divide us, then they can control us. And yes. by us, I mean the people who actually own this country, actually run this country, and actually have a voice in this country. It's not the other way around. So this idea of the country belonging to the people and being able to, to move out of that us versus them and that right versus wrong, something that as, as we've been watching this voter suppression laws over the past few weeks, anyone who has been reading that, if you're not outraged by what is happening, I want to say that, like, are you part of the solution or part of the problem? Because if you're not outraged that this is happening in the country where your you country. live, <laughs> yes, your country, our country, that's a problem. Well, you're just rolling over and accepting it by then. Yes. You're you're basically saying, yes, please control us and tell us what to do, how to do it, because we're not smart enough or big enough or whatever it is to do it when we are. Yes, we should all be outraged. And I'm not talking about outrage to go out and be violent, like, again, like what we saw on January 6th. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That outrage is to fuel, like, what can I do? What can I right. do to change what's happening? Right. Mm -hmm. That's different. Mm -hmm. What can I do to make sure that everyone has the right to vote, regardless of where they live, where they've come from, what they've done, that everyone just has the right to vote, period. Yes. And that it is that, like Glenn was saying, it's that civic duty. We have people like that lawmaker in um, Georgia, who literally all she did was knock on the fucking door. Mm -hmm. She was knocking on the door and saying, hey, if you're going to do this, you're going to do this publicly. And she's knocking on that door and she gets dragged off. I'm, I'm pretty sure she got charged with a felony, too. Yeah. Well, she and they're also with something. They're also going over after mm -hmm. Stacey Abrams. They're literally blaming blaming her for doing her job and actually getting people to come out to the polls uh, how, how does that work exactly just, yeah that was mind-blowing because like she was she's the one who who fought in this past election to make sure that everyone had you know could get out to vote and had that right to vote the republican party is is like trashing her and it's just like guys of course come they on. are um, and, and, and to kind of bring this back around to uh, what we were talking about that happened back in 1858, 
it was actually Abraham Lincoln, and he was he was still an Illinois lawyer at the time, was the one who stood up and and laid it out for then the Republican Party because the parties seemed to have like switched stances, which is kind of strange to me too. But he was the one who stood up and and was like, "What are you guys doing? This is like we're just." we implement these laws, we're destroying democracy. And, and just, I can read an excerpt. This is again from Heather Cox Richardson. It says, when Southerners fought to destroy the government rather than accept human equality, Lincoln reminded Americans just how fragile our democracy is. We're literally in the same boat right now. Right. Um, at, at Gettysburg in November of 1863, he rededicated the nation to the principles of the Declaration and called upon his audience to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. What is literally mind-blowing is we're in the same place right now in this country. Same exact thing. Mm -hmm. We're fighting, we're fighting for that government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. Brie, you had found a, you had found a really, really, really good quote that. Yeah, yeah that's and right. I, and I think, I, I, because basically where I'm at with this is doing whatever it is you can to get people to engage with our government. So on your local level, on your state level, on the United States level, like, it's like getting people to wake the fuck up mm-hmm. because we need to. We have to. And the quote that came to mind when we were talking about all this goes like this. First, they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. If you liked what you heard, please take a few minutes to go to iTunes to rate and review us. This really helps our podcast visibility, and it helps us to grow as well. Also, besides the fact that we do love to hear from you guys. As far as seeing more of our content, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Three Podcasts, as well as on our website, the3podcast.com, where you can find blogs, resources, and episode transcripts.
Silver is asleep, too. So he's out of the way. He's asleep in his 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 little hut. He's like, I shall sleep here. If you hear so any sleep. random like thumps in the background, it's my cat thump, hitting thump. the door. Hump it, hump. They don't like the door yeah. closed. Let me in. No, I, like I don't know demons. a cat that does. Yeah. My little demon kitties. My first kitty, we'd shut the t- the door at the top of the steps, and he would literally throw himself at it like all night. God. <laughs> He was not happy. 